Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Brian Lilly. Brian's the president of the private cloud business at Rackspace, a role he's had since January of 2023. He's had a remarkable career as a tech exec at companies like Zeo Group, Equinix, and Verisign. At each of those stops, he took an additional set of responsibilities related to strategy, sales, product, among other areas that he's led. Brian's a board-level executive, currently serving on the board of Lumentum, among other companies. He's also served in the U.S. Air Force, ending his active tenure as a captain. And uh, at a time when uh, it is more important than ever for each of us to be lifelong learners, he modeled that behavior by completing a master's degree in management from Stanford Graduate School of Business later in his career. I look forward to speaking with him about all the above and more. Brian, welcome to Technovation. Great to speak with you again. Thank you, Peter. It's always great to talk to you and to see you, and I hope you're well. Oh, I, I thank you. I am, and I hope you are as well. I, I appreciate you, you taking time with me today. Well, Brian, um, why don't we begin with Rackspace? Uh, no doubt a, a company many who are watching or listening to this are familiar with, but probably for some, uh, they're, they're due for a little bit of an update. Talk, talk a bit about the company, if you would. Sure. So Rackspace is a multi-cloud, pure play services provider. Uh, we help companies with both their migration to the public cloud, cloud of their choice, we're cloud uh, neutral, and we have services wrapped around helping companies get to the public cloud. But we also have a significant and substantial and, and maybe a business that they're even more known for uh, that is a private cloud business. And this is uh, really where you put your workloads that you want to keep from a security or IP or any other reason you want to keep that really on a dedicated cloud for your business, but it also can have connectivity to the public cloud. So you actually get the best of both worlds. And I've always said, even when I was a CIO, that the best architecture is a multi-cloud. It's a hybrid multi-cloud architecture because some workloads were built to take advantage of auto-scaling and some of the other features within the public cloud. And some were really built for uh, the, the private cloud where it's the core IP of your company and you want to really retain control of that. And so you can sort of buy the base, rent the spike. You've heard all that, but but Rackspace does both. And you, you're the president of the private cloud business, as I mentioned. Uh, talk a bit about your role, if you would, and also what attracted you to it. Sure. It, it, it's a, it's, it's a funny, it's a little bit of a funny story because I wasn't looking for it. You know, you talk about being a lifelong learner. I was actually enrolled at Pepperdine University getting my PhD in leadership and change. It's called Global Leadership and Change. And I love the program. I was in with uh, with uh, a bunch of, of people from all over the world. And I was actually talking to a company, um, Egon Zender, you know, one of the many about a board seat. And then he said, well, wait a minute, there's this company I really want you to think about as an operational role. And I said, well, no, I'm really happy and da, da, da. And anyway, long story short, uh, I loved uh, Amar Malatira, our CEO, uh, DK Sinha, the president of the public cloud side, Srini Kaushik, a, a Hall of Fame CIO, like a really, really great group of, of humans um, running the company. And I also think Rackspace is an iconic brand for an IT person in their heart, a technologist. Uh, Rackspace has this, this not only iconic, but it, it, we all grew up with it. And so, you know, for the private cloud side, when they were looking for the president of the private cloud, to me, it was a perfect fit 
because it it's, you know, I really own it soup to nuts. It's from sales, marketing, product, operations, customer experience, the whole bit within uh, the larger rack space, I'm responsible for uh, for the private cloud business. And it is uh, in a state where we've got to turn it around. I mean, that's no surprise to anybody. And and so this is an opportunity to to put those leadership lessons to work. And so I took a pause at Pepperdine uh, and they said, please come back. And I said, I'll try. And uh, and so now, now I'm leading the effort here and, and responsible for 3,400 rackers as we call them in, in my business unit. And uh, I'm loving every minute. Fantastic. And you mentioned it's, you know, you're in the throes of a, of, of a turnaround of sorts within, within the business. Uh, you you've been enrolled since the beginning of the year. Talk a bit about where things stand now. What are some of the actions you and the team have taken uh, as part of that? Yes. That thanks for asking. It's, it's been exciting because, you know, something I learned from Steve Smith, this former CEO of Equinix, the CEO now of Zao, he would always say, listen, learn, and then lead. And, and so I've, I had adopted that mantra. And so really in the first, you know, I joined at the end of January and in the first quarter, I was really meeting a significant number of rackers at all levels from the front line to executives to everybody in between, talking to customers, talking to shareholders, to really learn about the business. So I, I and I did a lot of listening, a lot of learning. And what I've learned is, is first of all, the organization that I had wasn't really shaped the way it needed to be to, to move forward. And so very recently, uh, I announced a, a, a new organization. I hired two very, very senior and qualified people one, she's running, she's going to be the chief revenue officer for the private cloud business. Another is going to be the chief product and technology officer for the private cloud business. And these are two um, industry vets and they've joined and they're excited about it. And we're we're building momentum around a, a product strategy that is not only for now, but uh, but future proof. And that's, you know, that's going to be coming here very soon. We're rethinking our go-to-market motion, what verticals we should be in, uh, how we should drive solutions, uh, large deals to down to you know commercial smaller deals, and how do we best create a customer success organization around that and a delivery organization around that? So it's pretty exciting uh, the steps that we've taken, and I'm really really looking forward to the second half of the year. You mentioned earlier, uh, we talked about your role, of course, as the head of the private cloud. You talked about DK, your your counterpart in the public cloud. Talk a bit about the ways in which you work together. You started to articulate reasons why one might choose the private cloud um, You know, in addition to, you, you mentioned that this is not an or, but an and play, really. That's right. You, you noted it as the best architecture is really multi-cloud. But talk a bit about how you and he work together. One could envision a, a state where perhaps executives like the two of you or the two of you with the purviews you have might actually be competitive in some way. Um, talk a bit about how you think about where, where uh, your role begins and his takes over, or vice versa. It's such a such a good question, um, Peter. Because when when you put the customer first, most times they need both. Now, when when the two business units were being formed, we looked at the customer base, and this was prior to me coming, they did a very good job of this. And they said, look, these, these clients are largely private. 
And in fact, you know, 90%, you know, accuracy, it's their private cloud. These are public cloud. And, and we have go to market against both of those. However, what we've created are shared incentives that say, look, if I'm in a private cloud account and talking to this customer and they're like, yeah, we just really need help going to Microsoft Azure or going to Amazon or you know GCP for our data pipelines, how do we do this? What, what the, the private cloud executive does is actually brings in the public cloud almost as an overlay to partner and then you've got shared incentive that it makes that work together and vice versa. We have, we've had multiple clients on the public side that said, you know what, it's, you know, we, this was a lot harder than we thought, or it was a lot more expensive or whatever reason we, and now we know we actually had it monitored. We know what we need. We want to, what we call repatriate with Rackspace, where they say we could bring this down into this sort of a footprint, get a very clear, consistent, predictable cost model. And you're giving us some of those same tool sets. So then the the public cloud will bring in the private cloud as an overlay and vice versa. So it's, and the, I think it all starts at the top. You know, there is never a, a case more than this where DK and I are absolutely in sync. In fact, we say this all the time, one rack space. There is one rack space there is one client and we're trying to help that client achieve what they're trying to achieve. And we do, and they don't think about it that way. They think about a business need and a set of business outcomes. And our job is to give them the best. And by the way, that may be, you know what, on my side, that may be DK. They, they really want to go to the public cloud and that best suits them. So it's, it's really putting the customer first and then it's one rack space and DK and I, I, I think I have a great relationship with him and he just a lot of fun and he built Cognizant in the Americas to some massive um, scale. He's super smart and he's just one of the nicest guys you'll meet. So, so yeah, it's, it's actually working well. And, and when I think the team sees us that way, it just, it just starts to model into the organization. That makes sense. Yeah, it's really nice to hear about the symbiosis between your roles and the way it's structured uh, to facilitate that to a great degree as well. You know, as somebody, uh, Brian, who is an early adopter of the cloud, you know that there are a lot of your former peers as CIOs or CTOs that have had, you know, differing levels of success associated with their migrations to it. Um, maybe in some cases, the the, the case they made for it was incorrect for what they've realized. But no doubt now, having been on both sides um, of the decision points related to cloud adoption, what do you see as some of the key points of differentiation for those who've been more successful versus those that have been less as they pursued cloud, whether private or public? It's, it's, a, it's so true. You know, having been a CIO and having scar tissues, in fact, I used to joke that I was six foot two with a full head of hair before I became a CIO. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a tough job. And I admire I admire those that are willing to take on that that level of leadership. Uh, I I think, you know, if I were to boil down the, the differences between success and failure, I think one really, really key one is focus on business outcomes and on the business objectives you're you know trying to achieve and closely aligned with that is is 
is relationship with the business. In fact, one of the things that when I first came to Equinix, there was really not a great partnership between IT and the business. And it was one of the first things that I, I tried to solve was I had 75 meetings in the first two and a half weeks, and they were almost solely with business users. And 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 they're just like, oh, this is different. So it it, it starts with real and deep relationship with the business and focusing on the outcomes. And so it's not an IT project. This is a business transformation project that IT is enabling, but it's that is that is um, what the focus is. And then I'd say the second one is the partnership because you have those relationships and you're focused on making them successful. It's a it's a partnership. And then I'd say the third is, and this is an you know one I I don't know if everybody thinks about this, but treating your vendors or partners as partners. You know, some people, and it, it really is, um, it's sad, feel like vendor beating is is a sport. And it's 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 really not because one of the things, I can't remember who, who taught me this early in my career, but they said, when things are really in the toilet, the people that are going to bring you out often are your vendors or your partners because they have you know, vastly more resources most of the time. They have more skill, more knowledge most of the time. So most of the time, they're going to be really, really important in your success. And so if you treat them like true partners, you hold them accountable, but you hold yourself accountable. You hold your team accountable, hold them accountable, but you don't browbeat them or treat them as secondhand citizens because they're second-class citizens because they're not employees. I, I think that you're, you're, your relationship with your partners uh, is really, really important. And I, I have many stories where that has, has saved me personally. Uh, and so I just, I really believe in that. I, in a similar vein, uh, Brian, I wanted to ask you about the advantages that you draw from having once been the persona that you are now serving uh, among your client set. You've already talked about it. Clearly you have a, you, you no doubt know what good looks like from your experiences with the likes of you currently from when you were in their seats and you am sure you had good experiences and you had plenty of bad ones as well. Yeah. And that helps you kind of understand perhaps where to lean in and where to lean away in terms of certain practices. But you also understand the kind of day-to-day uh, difficulties. You already talked about how much you appreciate those yeah. who have those roles for the, the, the difficult jobs that those are. Talk a bit about some of the other advantages that you draw from once having occupied that seat that you are now partnering with from across the table. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very interesting having sat on both sides of the table and understanding number one how hard that job is. Like that that job's it's a hard job because often you know you're sort of beat around the head and shoulders by the business and and um, sometimes it's thankless like you know you do a really good job and okay well that's your job you screw it up and well you know, you know, it can happen. It's a short tenure in the seat of the CIO. So I, I think the advantage it has is number one, empathy. And I think empathy is, it, and it's not fake empathy. It's, it's, it's real empathy, like, you know, and then I, I also think there, there is a, a camaraderie or a, uh, an alignment that you can gain where you can say, you know, I, I hear what the business is asking of you. What what are you really trying to solve? And how how can we be an extension of your team? And just changing the conversation from a vendor 
to a partner to, hey, we are an extension of your team. And oh, by the way, here's here's um, your team and how you can get you know connected, how we can bring additional resources. This is another thing. I found some of my favorite vendor partners were ones that they had a solution, their solution, but then they brought others to the table that weren't their solution, but they knew would be helpful. And, and in some cases, the best ones even brought stuff that I wouldn't say was purely competitive, but certainly could eat away maybe a little bit. They're like, you know what? They're just better at this. And it's just, it just cements them in. So so one thing that they I know when I'm sitting across the table from a CIO as a president of Rackspace, I will tell them when we can do something or when we can't. And I'm I'm just I'm going to tell them the truth because the last thing I want to do is sell them something, and and then you know you're scrambling to try and get it done or or uh, you know you're you're making excuses or they're in now deep doo doo because you didn't you know, you didn't tell the truth. Like, I'm just, just, it's just, that goes to the core values of, of, you know, I, I have a belief in, we can make the pie bigger for everybody in the abundance principle and, and, you know, being short-sighted like that, having sat in that seat, I think has, has said, I'll, I'll just never do that. Yeah. I really like that. It gets back to this whole customer centricity that you mentioned at the top, yeah. putting the, the customer at the center and then uh, letting out everything else sort of uh, be guided by that. I want right. to return to a, a comment you mentioned before, that very meaningful point that Steve Smith, your former colleague at Zayo Group and, and Equinix uh, said, listen, learn, and then lead. Leadership is something that you've really, um, you've taken a great interest in. You mentioned a moment yeah. ago that you, you're in the process of getting a PhD in global leadership and change from Pepperdine. Um, and I know from our past conversations uh, that you are a particularly thoughtful leader. You've spent a lot of time you know, defining your purpose, your core values, um, you know, developing a leadership style that you can really define as well. And I wanted to give you a, a few minutes to sort of describe those things, because I think that I know from, from having heard you speak a bit about this, that there's a lot there that others can learn from. So talk a bit about the, your, your thought process there. Well, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for offering me that just, uh, I'll be brief. Uh, there's another phrase, be brief, be bright, be gone. <laughs> I learned that <laughs> from a different leader. Uh, and, and so, you know, number one, I think is to really spend time on what your purpose is. Now, I think when you're, when you're younger, it's, you know, you're moving so fast that, that maybe it's maybe it's hard to harder to do, but I would I would encourage people to think about it. And there's, you know, there's plenty of places. I use this guy Michael Glazer. He's got the Friday, he's got a Friday newsletter that comes out. I think it's Michael Glazer, um, where you know he actually walks you through a process for for figuring out your purpose. And I I I spent the time on it because I said you know figuring out why you're here. You know when I left Equinix in 2019. Uh, I walked the Camino and uh, Camino de Santiago in Spain. And I just did a lot of soul searching there. I had been doing it throughout my 10 years at Equinix. And, and even in the Air Force, we talk about uh, purpose, you know, leadership and, and um, you know, your mission and the people, et cetera. And so I, I crafted a purpose statement that if I could just read it to you, it's it came from this sort of years of thinking through it. And it, it's very short. It's just to live a full and authentic life 
by personally and continually striving, learning, growing, and by helping others flourish. So what I decided and discovered for myself is that I've got to be me. I can't be somebody else. So this is authentic. Full is to to not live partially, but to to live fully in the moment. Um, you know, planning for the future, fine, but also in the moment. And then this striving, uh, you know, I think striving, learning, this is all about growth and growth mindset. But then lastly, you know, uh, I, 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 a friend said to me, you have a pathological urge to help people. And I, I, I thought, well, is that good or bad? But, but I said, you know, I really do care about helping others flourish that, you know, that's why I'm coach Lily. I've coached kids and I, I got my coaching certificate from UC Davis. Um, so professional coaching ICF, it's all about helping others flourish. I don't have the answers, but I certainly can, can be of help and assistance. And I think that purpose statement is, is sort of blended or, or all encompassing, but the core values actually are the pillars that support it. And those are, you know, there's only four to live with purpose, positivity, and passion to help others. I already mentioned to continually learn and grow and to be authentic. So those four core values really guide, you know, who I am as a person. And then, and then you say, well, what leadership style Knowing that that's my purpose and my core values, what leadership style do you want to adopt? And this is where I had done leadership studies in the Air Force. I tried to read leadership books all along. Well, when I took this course, um, I really put a bow on it. I think there's been a, a book that I've I've used for the last 10 years, maybe 12 years, called True North. And it's a book about authentic leadership. And it's 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 a brilliant book. Bill George was a professor at Harvard. He was the CEO of Medtronic. And it talks about, you know, what are the leadership principles of an authentic leader? And it's it's having purpose, which leads to passion. It's having values, which governs your behavior. And then he adds, so those are the two I just talked about, but he adds relationships, which drives connectedness, self-discipline, which is actually driving consistency and then heart, which really is compassion and empathy. And so I really decided that I'm, I'm not a servant leader. I, I, I just don't think I can be at that level, but I certainly feel I'm an authentic leader. And I, I try to put that at the center of my leadership principle. And I'd say the last thing on this is to combine that because I thought more and more about this and said, what are what are the principles that I use to drive and transform? Am I a maintainer or am I a builder? And there's another uh, um, leadership style that I think I would say uh, guides who I am, and that's transformational. And it's you know, and there's just there's just five principles there, and they really go well with the authenticity, which is guide using a north star to set, expect, and communicate high standards. That's really important. Encourage creativity and innovative thinking. How do you how do you build this? Like nobody wants to just be told what to do. It's how do you get, you know, find a better way. Um, demonstrating a genuine care in a safe environment. This is all around 
you know, psychological safety and, and diversity and allowing the diverse voices to be heard. And then really being clear about establishing goals and rewarding results so that this isn't, you know, people can't just ride along. They have to actually participate, but you have to make clear the goals. And so I combine those two into it. And so I'm, I'm, you know, the one course that I took, I really appreciated because it cemented it all at, at Pepperdine was a, it's by Peter Nordhaus. I would highly encourage everybody to read that compendium because he does about 12 to 15 pages on each leadership style. And you can decide what is the right one for you. But I think for future leaders, for current leaders, being really clear about who you are as a leader, what principles you adhere to, who you are as a person, your core values and your purpose, it really helps you make the tough decisions. It, um, it just guides you. So yeah, I'm pretty passionate about that topic. That, that comes across pretty pretty easily for you, Brian. Thank you so much for sharing sharing those details uh, and the specificity with which you did. Uh, for those who are interested uh, to learn more about Bill George, episode 719 of Technovation was my interview with him. And as you say, just a, a phenomenal uh, leader and, and, and incredibly thoughtful leader as well. Uh, thank you for the recommendation of Peter Nordhaus and his work also. Looking forward to digging into that a little bit further. Um, I wanted to ask you, Brian, I mentioned, I alluded to earlier that you've had a really varied set of experiences as an executive. You know, many people who rise to become CIOs do so by, you know, climbing in a single ladder. Maybe it's the same ladder across different companies. You've, of course, worked for multiple companies, as I highlighted in your introduction. But, you know, you were a, a, a tech exec at VeriSign, but you also were a leader in corporate strategy and global sales operations. You were a CIO at, at Equinix, but you were also chief customer officer and chief product officer at that organization. At Zeo Group, you ran tech and product. You now have this expansive role um, as a president of a business unit at Rackspace. I, I, I want to talk a bit more about, I mean, prior to your time um, at VeriSign, you had growing sets of responsibilities at, at other great companies like Silicon Graphics, SGI before that. And, you know, so you certainly, uh, one could have seen perhaps a, a path that would lead you to CIO and that would be plenty, but it seems like you've really uh, moved into some really remarkable adjacencies, which no doubt have sort of educated you in a way, provided you the experiences better put to take on a set of responsibilities like the ones you now have. Where did you have the you know, motivation or opportunity to move into those adjacent areas when a lot of your peers, frankly, were more pigeonholed? You are a spectacular question asker. <laughs> um, Thank you. Uh, I I would say that, you know, my, my, my Air Force years were um, in satellite operations, satellite command and control, through Desert Storm, all the space side of the business. And uh, and and it, there was a lot of technology and systems and all those things wrapped in there. And my last assignment out of the Air Force was the commander of the communication squadron at at um, uh, Sunnyvale Air Station, became Onizuka Air Station, named after the shuttle astronaut who died, uh, Ellison Onizuka, Colonel Onizuka. And anyway, uh, that led to an IT, very clearly an IT, because I was managing it was all, you know, secret stuff, but I was, I had desktops and servers and data. And so it was like the mini CIO role. And, and so that's what led me into that IT for Silicon graphics and fit very nicely. And, 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 you know, and I had a really, uh, there's a mentor, uh, I'll call him out by name because I still 
think he's the reason why I became a CIO was Steve O'Connor. Steve became the CIO of SGI. And then I think he's the CIO of, of AAA, I think. And, and I mean, he was a lawyer trained Boston guy, super funny guy. And anyway, he said, you know, his advice was, Brian, you know, uh, you're managing networks, you're doing data centers. I was over in Switzerland, you're doing all this stuff. He goes, what the, what the executives really care about are apps. They expect the infrastructure to work. They care about the apps because that's the business outcome. That's what drives process and et cetera. That great advice. And what he said was, he goes, if you want to be a CIO, you know, think about managing each function within the CIO organization. You've done networks, you've done data centers, you've done desktops, you've done all that stuff. Think about apps. So when I was returning from Switzerland, the new CIO, I just, he said, what would you want to do? And I said, I just want to work in apps. Like I didn't care. And, and Sean Worthington, who was there, gave me that opportunity. And then it was, hey, we're doing a global Oracle rollout and blah, blah, blah. So, so my path to CIO started with a variety of roles, but really aimed at trying to become a thoughtful CIO who managed those functions. Well, when I went to Verisign, it was it was as a VP of IT, they didn't have a CIO. And and what was funny is, is they said, hey, do what you did over there, you know, take out all this cost, restructure, blah, blah, blah. And I did it with them. But then I was like, you know, I want to change the vowel. That was what my phrase was from a CIO to a CEO. I want to be, and 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 when people ask me why. I said, because I want to be the keeper of the cultural flame. Like what I, the CEO owns that. And by the people they hire, by the, how they, you know, their calendar, they vote with their calendar. Like where do they spend their time? What are their priorities? All that. I said, I just want to be that. So I went off to Stanford Business School, like you mentioned. I come back. And, and so, you know, I, the CEO said, Stratton said, hey, go, go find a job. Because, you know, I, I was going to spend two years with them. And I had great, great mentors there. Mark McLaughlin, who became the CEO of Palo Alto Networks. He's the chairman of Qualcomm. Mark's very good friend and mentor. John Donovan, who became the number two guy at AT&T. We acquired his company in the middle of this reorg that they asked me to run. And that's when I was running strategy. Um, and, so, and, and so then when John landed, I thought I was going to go into sales. And he goes, hey, Brian. I, I really need somebody here while I'm going out on the road that I can trust to run the business via sales ops. So I said, John, you've done everything for me. And Mark McLaughlin, I listened to these guys and they said, yeah, so I did that. Well, when they decided to start to sell off business units and break up VeriSign, I said, okay, um, I'm I'm ready. And what this one guy, this is where the, the mentors and people make a difference. Um, from uh, Hydrogen Struggles, superb CIO uh, recruiter, said, Brian, you'd be a good CEO. He goes, you'd be a good CEO. You could do it, but you'd be a great CIO. So he he sort of, and he says, and you, you know, you'll, the sky's the limit. And so it was that conversation. I was sitting in my car because I didn't, I wanted to really listen. It shifted me and bam, Equinix found me. So it, it, it's these little things that said, you know what, being a little flexible, saying, 
I think I can make a difference. And then the Equinix ride, Steve Smith kept saying, hey, could you take on this? Could you take on the customer challenge? Hey, what about product? And and we've got to combine our technology. And so he, he, he used to just say, he goes, you're like my utility player. Like I can play you at shortstop or third and maybe even hit left and play right. And, you know, he, he just, um, he, he just, and, and I think I, I just always said, okay. Um, because I do think, by the way, there's a really important triangle for the CIOs on the phone and it's the CIO, the CCO, the chief customer officer and the CPO product, because at the end of the day, the good CIOs will become customer one for the company's products and services. And then they can give feedback and, and go through the same processes as this, as the customers. Well, the CCO is getting other customer input and all of that feedback should go to the product officer, you know, and it becomes this virtuous triangle if, if they can really work together on behalf of the customer. So the customer's in the center but but I really think the CIO as customer one, the chief customer officer as representative of the customer needs and, and doing battle in the company on behalf of the customer, and the product officer who's responsible for building those products and services. I think that's just such a key. Uh, to, and I've gotten to be in each of those seats. And I think it's just been helpful. Um and it is a growth mindset thing. You know, it's just like when I was asked to be a board, they a board member. Um, Lumentum had just been created out of the breakup of JDS Uniphase and a really good guy whom I know, you know, Tim Campos did such a good job on the JDS Uniphase board that JDS, he was going to go with Viavi and they said, I want a CIO, you know, on our board who knows data centers, knows networks, and is as good as Tim at adding value to the board. And, and they they found me through Chris Beatty, who's a CIO at ServiceNow, and they said he really knows this area. And Tim, you know, said, oh, gave a good, strong recommendation. And then I went through the process and it happened. Um, I, I just think being open to these roles, having created, you know, networks of people that you've worked with, worked for, worked alongside, um, you know, also giving back as a mentor and, and leader uh, has created this sort of tapestry of a rich life. And I feel blessed. I, I mean, the number one word I say every day is gratitude for where I am. And and now at, at Rackspace, I can sort of take those and actually bring in those perspectives in, in building what I think is going to be a world-class team. Really fantastic. What a great overview. Thank you so much uh, for sharing all those insights. I want well, you mentioned your board membership at Lumentum. I mentioned you've, you've been on the board, boards of Storage Labs and uh, Talent as well. Yeah. Talk a bit about, especially now having had multiple board experiences, about the advantages to boards of having technologists. It's a still a rather exclusive club. Not that you are only that. Uh, you can't, you don't, of course, fit under the moniker of CIO anymore. But yeah. um the technologists joining boards, it's still a fairly elite group of CIOs, DOs, TOs who are doing so. But as someone now who's done it multiple times over, um, what do you see as the one of the key drivers, some of the key drivers of value by having people like like uh, the roles you used to have uh, as members of the board and, and contributing to those very important conversations? 
Yeah, it's. I think it's. It is still. It's growing, but it's still a bit niche. And and I think boards that don't have that are missing because every business is digital. Every business is digital, and and to to have a perspective of business transformation from an IT lens, from a technology lens, especially one that's outcomes, business outcomes oriented. I think is really important for boards because it there is a what could be. It's not mired in how it's always been. So there's there's there is this innovation or creativity, not in terms of business outcomes coming up with those, but in how you can address those and really make them come to fruition. I also think clearly the 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 one that's most obvious is the security aspects, cybersecurity, how that's become a really important part of of every board. And I can't tell you how much uh, time and energy is is placed on that. And to have somebody on the board that has actually had a CISO working for them, has played that role, has certainly had to think about it in, in terms of every digital platform they've rolled out. It's not just DevOps, it's DevSecOps. And how do you embed security into the middle of all of all of that, uh, I think is really important. And then finally, if, if, and this is not always the case, but if the company is selling to CIOs, then having that persona on, you know, where, where you can actually question, you can look at the roadmap, you can question it, you can pull together points of view from CIOs, um, uh, you have a network, you can unlock um, conversations, whether those are business opportunities or advisory. Um, you can bring a point of view, uh, you know, just via not only your own experience, but through your network that is just valuable. It's just, it's valuable. We just had Tony Scott join Rackspace's uh, board and you know, I know the level of the breadth and of of the talent and knowledge that he's going to bring to our board is is frankly second to none. So, so yeah, I, I I do think one thing that you have to learn if you're new to a board, and this is this is by the way really hard. It was really hard for me at the beginning. Is you're not a player in that role. You're a coach, so you're not on the field. You're sort of not even on the sideline. You are sort of, but you're really in the grandstand. Um, and, and it's a different role. And, and asking questions, not even leading questions, just truly seeking to understand you have this fiduciary duty, but, you, but you're not on the field. You're not a player, um, is, is a new set of skills to learn. Um, and, and, you know, cut yourself some slack. It'll take a little bit, but it's certainly worth it. It really is worth it. Thank you for sharing the, those, uh, again, great, great perspectives there as to not only your own experience, but by, by extension, what you're seeing uh, as the ongoing value of great leaders like yours. You mentioned Tony Scott, former U.S. government, Microsoft, Disney, uh, chief information Incredible. officer. Incredible yeah. athlete, right? Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely right. Uh, I wanted to also ask you, we've mentioned it in a couple of different times and ways, uh, the fact that you've gone back for additional education at a point where the overwhelming majority of your your uh, peers would say they're past the point of, of, of wanting to say nothing, perhaps even of needing in their minds 
uh, additional education to the point of getting a degree. In your case, a couple of them, uh, one, one that you've achieved, one that you hope to uh, return to perhaps. Talk a bit about that orientation in you. Uh, you've achieved so much professionally, it would be very easy for you to say, look, the amount that I've learned on the job, that's, that's practical. It's not theoretical at, at all. Why, why, why was it, has it been important for you to, uh, in, in one case, while working, in another case, perhaps have it, you were still doing work, but, but having a bit more time to focus on a PhD? Why were these important to you at, at your, the different stages, later stages of your professional career? Well, it, it, that gets to some real internal stuff, Peter. Um, but uh, I will, I will be be brief. Um, uh, so my my parents died when I was pretty young. My dad died when I was nine. My mom died when I was nineteen. And but what I remember is conversation with my mom about education and how education is the key. She didn't get her college degree. My dad did, um, undergraduate, and. And so education was a key. We couldn't pay for college. So I got a Air Force ROTC scholarship. That's why I went in the Air Force. They paid for my college. Um, my first degree was in mathematics, but and and I love that degree. But what I what I wanted was to continue learning. And then my first master's was in was when I was in the Air Force, and they again paid for it, was a master's in telecom. And that was really, I would go to school at night. And then I'd go back to the knock and sit with the troops on the floor, stripping cables and hooking up crypto and really learning, really learning. And so that was a learning on the job. And I got a degree. Um, the, the, the reason the master's from Stanford was so important was I had set a goal in life that I, I wanted to go to Stanford. I always wanted to go to Stanford. Um, didn't feel I was good enough. And so I didn't even apply as an undergraduate. I probably should have. But so that was just a dream and a goal. And 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 second, I I wanted to learn more about, you know, John Donovan said this to me. He, you know, so I was I I, I was gonna be his head of sales ops. And he goes, Wow, you have a hugely overdeveloped sense of leadership and an underdeveloped sense of business. Because <laughs> I went right from the Air Force, where you expense everything from a battleship to a B-2 bomber, right? There is no concept of the kind of accounting rules and all these things. And then I went right into IT and now I'm his sales ops guy. And, and, but I had this, this strategy and finance and accounting and marketing and all these courses that I never really had a chance to take at Stanford. So to me, it was very practical to be able to, to achieve a lifelong dream goal to be, to have attended Stanford university. And then second was to get this practical knowledge of business and, uh, and it, it was just massively useful. Like I remember this one class I took was called Developing, Building and Developing Professional Sales Organizations. The book's by Zoltner. Fantastic about product market coverage. So you always are thinking product market fit and what is the, the uh, demographic that you're selling to and, and how, do you, how do you mirror map product and and customer into a go-to-market strategy and what should be direct and what should be channels. And that one course was fabulous in terms of teaching me uh, practical knowledge. So that was, that's what led to that one, Peter. And then, and also I was thinking I was changing the I to the E. And then I would say the, the, the reason now, so I, I'm, I'm where I'm at. And I always thought I wanted to study leadership and I wanted to study leadership 
in the in the classics, in the Greek classics, and in philosophy. I'm I'm a Stoic, and I just felt like I could bring this together into a point of view, and and maybe author a book around you know around leadership. And then I said, well, if I'm going to do that, I really should dive into um, really scholarly pursuit of leadership, not just practical. And when I was interviewing to get into the school, they said, I, I told them, they said, why do you think you'd be good student here? Because I'm the oldest student there. And and uh, and I told her, and she says, maybe that's the best answer I've ever heard, which is that I've got the practical, but I really have just touched the surface of the scholarly. And if I bring that together, I could be I could be a professor. I can um, I could write a book. I could I could teach others, you know, for 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 no money. Just uh, just build a um, an ability to help others become leaders themselves. Maybe at a younger age than me. And so, uh, you know, I I don't I don't have a better answer than that, Peter. I. Um, I just, I'll never stop learning when the day, you know, one day I'm going to keel over and I'll probably have a book in my hand. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a, you don't need a better answer than that. It's an extraordinary yeah. one, Brian. Thank you for that reflection. I wanted to, we've also talked a bit about uh, your military background and thank you for your service uh, that the, your, the U S air force helped pay for your, your education at a, at a time where that was really important. Of course, um, talk a bit about, you, you mentioned the, importance from a leadership perspective at a relatively young age, learning some of the basics of what has clearly been a topic of great passion of yours. We've been, uh, it's, it's a, a through line of this entire conversation. I thought maybe lingering a moment longer uh, to reflect upon the importance of your military background at the point at which that happened in your life. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's uh, another great question. I think, I think the fact that um, I went to college at 17 you know, I turned 18 my freshman year, so I was pretty young. And then my mom died that summer, uh, sophomore summer. Um, it was an unfortunate car accident. So it was kind of a rough summer. And then just feel, thinking through, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? How do I help the family? Because I had a very young sister. And, you know, so contemplated dropping out, contemplate, And, and I had, uh, you know, these conversations that really reflect or, or influence my leadership is you know this conversation with this um man my my mother was actually dating at the time and he you know he says what are you going to do and i said well you know thinking about dropping out and he goes you know um i really think you know you should pursue your degree you can always help your family and he pulls out of his pocket he goes what's your dream and i said attend stanford university and he pulls out of his pocket but but he says well have you gone and visited and i said no i've never been there i've just it's just a dream. And he pulls out of his pocket $200. And this was in 1984. My mother died in July, 1984. And he, he gives me this and I go, what is this for? And he goes, this is for you to go visit Stanford, get on a bus, go down, find a hotel room or something cheap nearby. And I want you to walk the campus and visit and talk to people. And, and I told him, I honestly told him, I said, you know, I can't pay this back. Like $200 in 1984 is a lot. And he goes, um, he goes, don't, he goes, don't pay it back, pay it forward to your family, to others. And I remember that conversation sitting on the dirt in Humboldt County outside of our house 
I'll never forget that conversation. And, and so that's why it's one of my, you know, my leadership thing is to always, always pay it forward, always give people the help uh, to achieve their dreams. And, and so when I did that, that cemented that I'm going to go there. And I said, well, how am I going to be there? Well, I'm going to be an officer in the Air Force. I'm going to do as the best I can do for my country, for uh, for myself, for my family. And then I maybe have a career in it or maybe transition. You know, I don't know exactly what the future holds, but I know I'm going to pay it forward. And and so the military gave me that discipline that I needed. Um, I was always an athlete, played a lot of the sports. Um and I had teamwork and all those things that I that really are important in the military, and and then the fact that they gave me that structure and that start, um, really, I'll, I'm forever grateful to the U.S. Air Force to the to the country for for giving me that chance, and it it just it really gave me a gave me a firm platform to to launch and to to be where I am now today. So. I'm so sorry for the the pain you felt at such a young age, but really appreciate mm-hmm. your your willing to reflect on some of that. Some just just a remarkable story, Brian. Thank mm-hmm. you, thank you so much. I, I wanted to um, ask you about as you, you look to the future, say two or three years out. What are some trends that particularly intrigue you? What are some things that are making their way onto either your personal or professional roadmap that that you might yeah. underscore or highlight? Yeah, I. So if, if I think about the professional side or, you know, technology trends, et cetera, um, I, you know, every, there's a huge question about AI and, you know, everybody's talking about that, but what does that really mean um, for jobs, for, you know, there, I read, I read this article today and its title was great because it said, you know, Hey, AI, don't take away our jobs, take away our tasks. And I just thought that was a very provocative title and, and a good article because, I do, you know, I do worry as you have autonomous driving, you know, those are still a significant transportation to significant amount of jobs in the, in the country and in the world. Well, if that goes away and then AI takes away other jobs, if it's not focused on tasks, mm-hmm. I think we have to, we have to really, as leaders today, think about what does the future of work look like? And I don't just mean what's remote and what's in person. I mean, what are the future of jobs and tasks and 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 think through how AI can help that? Um, so so that's certainly on my radar. I think the other thing that's on my radar is is rebuilding Ukraine. You know, we are, and I say we because democracy and freedom depends on it. We are going to win this war. And but then we have to rebuild. And that's although that's one country in the world, that's on my personal radar. I've I've delivered thousands of books, children's books to Ukrainian children refugees in in Poland and in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, I, I just feel that the rule of law, people, you know, countries shouldn't be able to invade countries. And I know we're, you know, we're not that that applies to us as well. The U.S. like, you know, sovereign borders and, and sovereignty is important to me. Freedom, democracy. Those aren't just ethereal concepts. I believe in them. So that's that's on my personal radar. And then I think lastly is is maybe, you know, my wife says I've been a teacher my whole life, but maybe maybe formulating that a bit more and and teaching um, certainly uh, in the U.S., but maybe even abroad 
So I, I don't know. I, I do worry a little bit, Peter, about, about the future. And I do want to contribute to making it better for a wider swath of people. And uh, I believe deeply in diversity and the innovation that can come from bringing other voices to the table. Yeah. But for the next couple of years, for sure, I'm going to help turn around Rackspace and make it uh, and make it the best multi-cloud pure play provider. And uh, come talk to us. Talk to me personally if if uh, if we can help you. And, you know, customer centric is is how I'll always be. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to close, Brian, with a question about sort of the secrets to your success. And it strikes me that to an unusual degree from among, among the many interviews I've done, this has been coming out throughout the conversation, the importance of mentorship. You talked about the Steves, O'Connor and Smith, Mark McLaughlin, John Donovan. You've ta- talked about your the way in which you've been a lifelong learner and how that uh, ha- has served you so well. You've lived an intentional life and an intentional career uh, in some really remarkable ways. You've talked about the importance of saying yes. Uh, and my word's not yours, but not being intimidated, getting past sort of the imposter syndrome uh, and, and taking on challenges that you may not know whether or not you're going to be successful, but nevertheless, um, pursuing it in to, in any event. Um, anything we missed uh, that you would highlight as uh, recommendations to others who might wish to walk in your footsteps, uh, Brian? Mm. That's a big, you know, wonderful summary, Peter. You're just really, your mind's a beautiful thing. Um, I I would say that, you know, you mentioned mentorship. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a quasi advisor to Mentor Cloud. Uh, you know, Dr. Um, Gundla Pali is his name, and he's written the book, The Art of Mentoring. Um, and Ravi is is a tremendous guy. Check that out. Um, because I believe in mentorship. I do think that, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up specifically because there's not only coaching, which is different than mentoring. You know, mentoring, you've been there, done that. You can be a little bit more prescriptive, whereas coaching, you're helping them uncover what's already in them, right? There's there's a difference. I would say it's re- this notion of reverse mentoring. Like I, when I think of the team members that I've had, I look at VeriSign, just look at VeriSign for one second. Chris Beatty was on my team. He's the CIO service now. Um, um, uh, Craig Lazowski, who's running tech at Nextdoor. Milan Vogley is the CIO at Equinix. Sriram Thyagarajan is the CIO at Ancestry.com. Um, Greg Ogle and Amr El Arabati are both vice presidents at Equinix who have who have really built careers there. You know, I can go on and on and on about the people that were on my team just there. I can talk about SGI and the people there. So I've learned more from them than I have taught them. So I I think learn from your team. Don't be intimidated by them. Hire people like I just did it at Rackspace. You know, I hired Lance Weaver. Lance was the CTO at GE Cloud. He he is an extraordinary guy. He's running now product and technology for the private cloud. He's better than me. I I will absolutely say that unequivocally. Maureen Sweeney, she has a storied 30-year career at IBM. She's now our new chief revenue officer for private cloud. She's better than me. So when I think of the team that we're assembling and then going to unleash, that 
there is so much strength in that. So for the leaders that have team members, learn from them, unleash them, because there, there is, there's, there's, there's genius in your team. And, and I, I think that that's something, you know, you don't have to always be the one. You certainly are going to bring your ideas to the table and they matter because you have a point of view, you have experience, all that, but so do they. And they have a different perspective. You know, I look at Ike Harris. Ike Harris is a new board member at Lumentum. Oh my gosh, what an incredible point of view he's brought to the, to the team um, and a diverse view. And but a depth in supply chain and knowledge. So I think just giving away credit, giving away and and knowing that you are one voice at the table, but all of us are always better than any of us. It's it's just such a massive principle. Um, and then I think this abundance principle, sharing the wealth, sharing what you create together, and just knowing it's not. It's not, I'm going to get my slice and your slice is smaller, but that actually, how do we make that pie bigger uh, for everybody? I, I just, it's just a mindset. It's growth mindset. Read Carol Dweck, read growth mindset. If you haven't read it, if you haven't interviewed her, Peter, maybe you already have. Uh, Dr. Dweck, she, she's amazing. And the book is amazing and has changed my life in so many ways. So um, yeah, I'm sorry that I can't be as concise as maybe I should be on that, but, but wow, there's, there's just a lot of lessons. Um, yeah, but learn from your team. That's a big one. Yeah. Well, Brian, what an extraordinary conversation this has been. You, you mentioned that you, you hope maybe one day be a professor to write a book, to help others be leaders at younger ages than, than you achieved, uh, those things. I, I, I no doubt all of that is in your future. Uh, I mean, I, I started uh, the conversation thinking you should write a book. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, closing it thinking maybe that a book should be written about you for the uh, <laughs> remarkable path that you've that you've taken. But I, I'm just so honored that you would take uh, some time out of your busy schedule to share a bit about your perspectives and to do so so incredibly thoughtfully. Uh, it's been a, just a terrific conversation. Oh, thank you, thank you, Peter. I I I just appreciate you. And like I said, end this call with gratitude. I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for my colleagues that I've mentioned, my mentors. Um, just, I wouldn't be here without all of them. And so thank you for, for the opportunity. My great pleasure.